Welcome. Welcome back, everybody. I'm excited about uh, today's show. Rad Dad in the house, John Calfan, Bobby Nealon. What's going on? Um, Bobby's sad because Belichick finally retired. Well, he, you might be happy if he retired. Uh, we got Mayo. Eh. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's been, he wasn't. I mean, he wasn't turning the ship that's, around that's in the next true. five years. But I mean, yeah, we'll see how it goes. And then uh, we've also got Alex Fortin, the uh, CTO over at, at Coldboard, joining us today. Appreciate you uh, jumping on with us, man. Yeah, great to be here, guys. What uh, What's the current temperature up there? Because we're currently. <laughs> I got that cold front yeah i'm really bad with fahrenheit like uh like I can, uh, I can so generally i got minus 37 celsius i know like it's kind of converges cold enough. around there right <laughs> so i think it's probably minus 32 fahrenheit something like that um so Cardin, the mustang didn't start this morning uh so uh got the kids at home i was like no nah, we're not doing this you guys staying here that's awesome yeah it, re- yeah. it really does make you appreciate your uh your natural gas feed out here oh sure. yeah no, that's uh, that's one of those things that I love about the South. Like, I wish we had actual winters and falls, but I also like the threat of snow will shut down schools here. If it does yeah. snow, we're definitely not having school. Like, if it ices, we might yeah. be out for a few days. I remember in college, we had an entire week off because there was an ice storm. Like, and yeah. I just went to another college and partied all week. Yeah. It was it was awesome. But yeah, up north, people are it's used all to hard it, and, and you just gotta go. Just go get your shit done <laughs> yeah, it's... yeah yeah i know be like i'm going to houston uh next week i hear oh, it's nice. going to be around uh in the 20s fahrenheit yep uh and uh i'm sure it's going to be a bit more chaotic than here in calgary in the minus uh 30s <laughs> uh surely For sure well depending on how long you're here i'll probably be 70 by the time you're gone so yeah it was 70 yes yeah, like uh... i i was hoping to get a little bit of warrant while i was down there what was it Derek Turk was trying to get me to go speak of the SBE thing that they're doing at the end of the month, and it's in Kenanaskis, I think is how you say it. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, looks beautiful. Um, looks beautiful, but like a SBE, you know, we've talked about this. They mm-hmm. don't pay for you to you know go speak at their events. Uh, you know, you pay your way, and then mm-hmm. B, it's like it's Calgary <laughs> it's at the uh, end of January. <laughs> so not not my idea of uh fun necessarily <laughs> no fun fun travel in snow is never uh never the best especially when you're flying and stuff but um no i mean i didn't go to pa from like when i was in sales i would not go to Mar- the marcellus from like november through february because i was like i'm not gonna rent a- i'm gonna have to rent a car yeah and then i'm gonna have to figure up. out if it's four-wheel drive or all-wheel drive like uh, all that fun stuff and then just the liability of it or, yeah like i don't drive in the snow <laughs> i know how to generally speaking but yeah. not nearly as good as people who do it every year anyway um well thanks for thanks for jumping on we'll we'll get out of that rabbit hole but um tell us you know just tell us a little bit about about your background you know we met I think initially when I was at Hive Cell and stuff, talking to you guys about some yeah. of the edge edge stuff. But kind of how did you get get to where you're at today? Were you always kind of into the science and technology or the technology side? Did you like tearing shit apart and working on cars? I mean, I've broken both cars and computers growing up, so I've always just loved fixing stuff. But kind of tell us how you yeah. got Yeah. Uh yeah, a bit of an uh say unconventional track to where I'm at today, honestly. Uh started uh my you know going coming out of high school it's kind of the kid that didn't know what he wanted to do kind of just uh floating and having fun um and and went to work for a little bit and um at the time i worked uh, i worked on the railroad here in in, in canada and canada national railway and, uh, and then moved and then also worked for bell canada out here which is a big telecom company out east 
And that's really kind of when our start in technology started to install fiber optics and, you know, dabble in everything networking. Uh, and then uh, it was probably a little smart to be uh, just like a tech out there uh, full time. So they kind of had me do some fancier things um, and then started to do some courses on networking and stuff like that. So we got to my Cisco CCNA, like that type of stuff. Um, and then uh, decided to uh, go back to university to do my comp sci degree after that, uh, nice. when I was in my mid twenties. Um, and then, uh, and then, uh, got hitched up with a chick, and then she uh, she wanted to move to Alberta. Uh, so <laughs> I'm originally from Quebec City, and so uh, so we ended up in Cold Lake uh, here. So that's uh, that's one of the, the that's the big uh, Canadian Air Force base here, where you intercept those uh, those Russian bombers that uh, comes up the polar circle. And uh, so I was uh, finishing my degree out there, and then that's how, uh, and then got my first job actually in Edmonton for Cold War back in 2016. Um, at the time, what we were doing was uh, sonic, uh, like uh, acoustic telemetry right. uh, for ball drops. So uh, we were like still in uh, incompletions, but on the ball drop side, uh, right after the 2015 downturn. So it was an interesting environment. Yeah. Um, Y'all just there using for acoustic monitoring for ball drop validation, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, uh, so we were, you know, we're, we're developing our own kind of hardware sensors that we're hooking up there. Uh, and then we had technicians go out there and what we were doing at the time was trying to, uh, it was still the early days of stuff like machine learning. So we're trying to build up a database of, you know, what a, what a ball launch sounds like, what a ball seat sounds like, right. you know, all those, those events so that we can confirm on top of pressure, um, uh, all the, the operational during a ball drop. And then, uh, but then, uh, you know, that was out in Edmonton. So it's kind of start kind of tired to do the back and forth between Cold Lake and Edmonton all the time. So wife found a job in Calgary. I found a job in Calgary and then it split ways Cold War originally uh, to work for a defense contractor here in Calgary. Well, it's an American defense contractor, General Dynamics, uh, work on uh, military telecoms, uh, which actually is interesting parallels with some of the stuff that we see in the oil field, yeah, uh, which is like 80s style technologies <laughs> that uh, still run in the 2020s. Right. It's just um, hard, hardened 80s tech, right? Yeah, that's been that's refurbished right. and um, revamped so, over the years. <clears throat> so, yeah, so it was working for uh, the British military. They were revamping their stuff, but they're still running kind of their their um, high frequency, like very high frequency radios from the 80s and trying to send emails over it in the middle of the desert out in Afghanistan. A very interesting uh, experience, like working there for uh, – for the fence. Uh, and then, um, <clears throat> and then the, the entire crew at Colbor moved back to, uh, mo- they all moved to Calgary. We had our sales in Calgary before, but all our technicians and, and technology groups were in, uh, Leduc's just out of Edmonton. And then we, uh, and then they moved to Calgary, um, on 2019 and, uh, and they knew I'd moved to Calgary and they wanted me to come back. So that's when I rejoined Colbor back in 2020. Uh, but, yeah. Four, four months into the pandemic, minus $49 a barrel WTI. And uh, I thought that stock was a bit low. So I said, yeah, I think it's probably uh, probably time because I think there's still a lot of growth there to happen. And uh, and then join when uh, the team was still pretty small. Um, and yeah. then uh, all the way to today where uh, we grew the company about, about uh, 
tenfold, I would say, roughly since uh, since I joined back twenty twenty. So it's been uh, it's been quite the experience. Yeah, y'all have had That's a cool. ton of success, and I, as someone who was a frack engineer originally working in the field, uh, y'all are solving a lot of the problems that I was incredibly frustrated with, and then moving, you know, moving to the office and Bobby and I. You know, we initially met at Reservoir Data Systems, so we were doing surface and downhole gauging gauges with telemetry, and that's where I got into the data and the comms side of things. But that was one of the things that we were also kind of, I was got moved into product, and so one of the new products we were working on was like frac data streaming yeah, frac, frac data, right? And it's like, hey, these guys are also already doing that. And yeah, that's where we first heard about them. It was mm-hmm. at Ertech in Colorado, was it 2019? And yeah. I think we we're talking to someone at Corva, and they're like, oh, yeah, there's just company cold bore. Yeah, and it's like, like oh, interesting. Not, not another. Well, and one thing too is, and it's funny too. Maybe <laughs> maybe you can shed some light. Is uh, we would always like scout, and we would see these Canadian companies, and we're like, please don't let these Canadian companies come down here, because like, oh yeah, because we were doing stuff that maybe no one else in our little domain was doing, but there were a couple other com- companies, including you, up there, and it's like, please, please don't come to America. <laughs> please don't compete with us. No, that's uh, I mean, y'all are solving a huge problem, but can you, um kind of jump into just high level you know what what cold board does what you know layer zero i know is a, a big thing for you guys kind of just talk about that so that it kind of gives the foundation for the rest of the the conversation so to speak sure yeah um i mean for anyone like to me i always uh, i try to always draw a parallel back to to what pace on in, in the early 2000s right uh, on the drilling side and it's really really a good one um the the but, you know, the reason why completions didn't go through a similar process as fast as it happened on the drilling side is the complexity yeah. of the operation and completions on top of the fact that you have uh, lots of vendors, lots of service companies that right, are happy yeah. to be joined together. No standard. Uh, so like with the whole, for whatever it is, is a standard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So many people just don't yeah. realize that, right? Like they also don't realize that most oil companies until they start producing the well generate none of their own actual data right like the production data yeah. is theirs I mean, it's all their data but they don't generate any of it until they get to that production phase really yeah um, and so That's it's right. like it's this data nightmare on the back end where you're the operator and you've got wireline data coming in over here you've got pump down data frack data chemical data sand data water <laughs> water transfer data you've got yeah. all of these data sources coming in there's no standards across any of them. There's no, there's not even an agreement upon like how frequently the data should be pulled. Yeah. Um, and so it's, that's what these guys are, are solving. And it's, it's a huge benefit because I mean, besides drilling frack is the next, it's probably, uh, I haven't they're seen almost probably, about equal, say, roughly, they're probably on par with each other as far as your costs, which are, you know, that's probably what 95% of <laughs> a, yeah. a well's AFE is drilling and completions. But, um, yeah, We've had all that on the drilling side for so long, but on the completion side, it has been just a complete cluster. I remember one of the first times Bobby and I were talking to a potential customer about our new frack stuff. He had been working on a frack model, a frack machine learning model to go in and normalize the naming conventions of all their post job data because they, you know. And that was just taking in the post job right. like thing, not streaming it. That was getting, you know, right. almost doing their own well, well data labs. Yeah, thing. on like, the back end, you know, 10 years <clears throat> worth of stage post job reports and stage files trying to f- come in and just normalize the naming conventions so that they could then go build a model to actually do something with that data right like people just don't think about how complex this shit gets very quickly with all that stuff 
Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting point because uh, most of the time, like people, when they think of coal board, they think of, uh, you know, operationally how we support, you know, the company that's out there. And, and yeah, that's a big part of it. But but also more and more what we see with uh, with clients that are, uh, you know, operators that are starting to get into machine learning and, and AI and trying to, you know, leverage that data that they're getting. You know, a data science project, a classic one, and that's not just an oil and gas problem. It's an right. everywhere yeah. problem. It's you get 80% of your uh, your time spent on what, what they call data wrangling, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, how do I put a data set together so that I can now have a clean enough set to be able to do all the fancy things that data science, data scientists want to do. Right, um, and the the further from the source that you are, once you do that operation of wrangling, the harder and the and the most complicated it gets. Right, absolutely, and that's really a big problem we saw for them at Colbor because we do this standardization and contextualization of the data um, on site in real time, uh, yeah. so that you know there's not any guesses that needs to be made post job once you know. The, pads done like everyone's split off they're already fracking a new set of wells and then if you're trying to find out kind of like hey like were we fracking this well or that well at that time or were we dual fracking because i see the pressure it's kind of kind of weird there by then like that information is on the ether and it's really hard to make sense of it but even like timestamp synchronization oh, yeah. that was one thing that we would pitch you know say even at rds you know or especially when we were doing the frack fan thing is because we would have it all coming through the same you know date dac or data acquisition device you know data logger yeah you know because we had our, our own pressure gauges and then we would stream the frack band, you know they would be on the same time sync and that was at the time where you had like reveal and then you know now you've got um some of the stuff that came out of dev and the seal wellbore stuff where all right well you've got this you know pressure gauge that has its own timestamp. And then you would get the frac data and then people would have to merge that and they'd have to shift the data. And I mean, who knows if they even, if it was UTC or was it in the right time zone? Did they account for daylight savings? And then just, you know, the float of computers is different. So like, there's no way to even really assuredly get that. Whereas, you know, when it comes from a system like yours, that it's kind of all coming through the same thing. I'm, I'm assuming, you know, the wireline data and the frac van data, and then even associated pressure gauges and all that stuff is coming through, you know, the same you know, computer roughly, and you're getting, they're all time synchronized. Yeah. I mean, we would have yeah. to put pressure gauges on the treatment wells, even though we were monitoring the offsets for frack hits, just so that we could normalize the frack treatment data, or actually it was for the client. The client would do that. So they would use <clears> the <throat> treatment data from one of the pressure gauges that we had on the treatment well, and then they would use that to line up the frack stages. And then they would layer on the offset gauges to see if there were pressure hits. But like, without that gauge on the treatment well, it was pretty much impossible to figure out how you <laughs> layer over those stages on top of them. Or someone has to manually yeah, go it, start tagging it. Right. And the way we look at this synchronization is twofold. Like you're saying, the first, the obvious one is kind of like, okay, let's synchronize all our computers and damn NTP mm-hmm. server so we don't have to worry about <laughs> that too much. And, and GPS, even like everyone, I, we always have GPSs on site, right? It's like, it's not that hard. I and mean, that's, that's a really good source of time. Yeah. Um, and, and we make sure that we, we synchronize all that data for, for the customers so that again, like when they come on the other side, then they can trust that if they want to correlate something that happened on, like you said, offset wells and, and well fracking was going on, then they don't have to think about that. Yep. And two, there's also the fact that at Colbar, like really believe strongly that, you know, having the information of the fractory 
uh, and being able to correlate all of the operations on pad to what's happening on the factory was also like, it's kind of like a, uh, it's, it's another type of synchronization because yeah. really kind of like you, you want to synchronize around because essentially like everything that happens on site ends up at the factory, right? So you can mm-hmm. correlate all those activities to the factory. Um, and that's, that's what we really kind of started uh, making a difference is, you know, back in 2019, there were no like, you know, downing and, and that, or, or they were, you know, not as well known. And so like most of the fractures you're seeing out there was just dumb iron and then right. uh, starting to equip them with, with uh, a bunch of pressure transducers and valve position sensor allowed us to create this data set that when I talked earlier about the contextualizations, like I can, yes, I'm streaming you the data to the customer, but I can, I can also give the data to the customer that already is decorated, if you will, with like, Hey, you know, your, your valve opened at this time. Uh, right. So you started fracking there. On, you were on idled this well. for about, yeah. on this well, right. you, were, <laughs> you were idled for about two minutes where the factory like was ready to get pressure, but uh, I don't know what the frag guys were doing. So for two minutes, nothing happened. And then we see pressure up and then, you know, start your slurry, then your, you know, your pad, your, mm-hmm. your flush started at this time. And so when you're trying to analyze something, like you even go from that contextualization layer to say, okay, what am I interested in? Okay. Stage 57, well be, um, you know, plug and perf phase. I can, I can just ask the system to get the yeah. data that's relevant to that. And that makes a big difference in the workflow for our customers. Yeah, that I, I believe y'all <laughs> the first ones that I ever saw that had the the valve positioning yeah. sensor on it, and I thought that was just such a brilliant fucking idea because it allows you to it allows you to understand to your point all of the context, but also those little very important things like which well, right? Like I can't tell you how many times it would happen where we would put equipment on pressure gauges on a well, and the company man would say it was this well name. And then we would go back and then the engineer calls us and it's like, why is the well name this? It's supposed to be on this well. Like, well, this is what the company man told us to do. So that's what we did because he's the baller, right? Like, and then, so you, yeah. you expound that over, you know, that's the thing with frac data, right? Is it's one, it's pretty dense as far as just the volume of it, generally speaking, not as not like big, big data, but then you have so many stages, right? You're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of stages every single year that you get. And so it's like, I mean, when I was in the field, we didn't put the well name in the, the, the DAS file, right? Like that wasn't in there. It was in the file name or in the folder that the the file was stored in. Right. Like, and so, well, shit, that doesn't work for a database when you're trying to do big data analysis on the back end because you don't know what well it is. And so just like those little nuance things are just so important with this type of data especially on the operation side, because that's where all the money is spent, yeah. right? When you talk about, you know, I think you were starting to hint some at like NPT where it's like, this valve was open and, and two minutes went by while we we're just idling the motors and mm-hmm. we, were doing, we weren't actually even doing anything productive. And it sounds insignificant for one, but right. you do that per how, you know, three or four wells on a pad times 30 times plus three, stages, three times crews working, you know, in the across yeah. 365 days. And like, now you're yeah. talking hours, you know, <laughs> that days. cost a lot of money. Yeah. No, there's yeah, so that, much Yeah, those NPTs too, like what's great about uh, a system like ours is that you can actually tell from the sensors, right? You, you can have a sensor-driven like algorithm that determines who's responsible. Like in that case of the frack idle, right. like who's responsible from the NPT? Is it the frack company or is it the the, the factory company? Because you'll, you'll see if the valve is open and the pre- like or vice versa. 
Um, and so like normally like you would get, if you just look at the data, you, all you see is like, I see that nothing like I'd see, I see the swell switch took two hours. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, but I don't know why. Right. I don't know why. Right. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's, uh, <clears throat> like I said, it's just, it's one of those things, unless you've messed with it and tried to do anything with it, you really don't understand how hard that problem is, is or was to solve, um, out of the gate. But, you know, th- there's a couple of things I want to talk about. I want to kind of get your, your, um, kind of strategy as well as just recommendations around, you know, how y'all approach the edge side of things. Cause y'all are unique in that fact, you know, a lot of people, you know, they get data from APIs or whatever, but they're not actually all the way down at the ground level where the data they're acqu- not only acquiring the data, but they're generating the actual data and then transforming it and then pushing it up. And so, I mean, I, I'm, like I said earlier, we met because I was working at an edge company. I am pretty bullish long-term on edge in the oil field and the things it's going to be able to do for us. But, you know, you guys are actually uh, implementing it and doing it on a day-to-day basis. So I'm very curious on to, as to just, you know, your, your thoughts on it, how, you know, the things that you guys have, have done that were big wins. Some of the things that you, you, know, you would, uh, if you were at another service company sitting and watching you talk about it, lessons learned, things that you wouldn't do and and things like yeah. that sure um yes yeah, a very good question uh like i mean in terms of processing uh we're not i would say that we're not doing so much processing uh that it, it's it because it, it, a lot of times like when you hear the stories about the edge is like people start to do so much processing in the cloud it just becomes right. non-economical a, yeah right data storage like, yeah. Um, so for us, like we're really um, uh, doing doing the contextualization, a lot of the computation on site, uh, not necessarily because like it's like a cost saving or, or, right. or cost uh, um, optimization path, but it's more like that's the that's the 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 service that we deliver to the client that's actually on path, right? right yeah. Uh, so by default, we have to do all our computation because like if you look at our edge application versus our cloud application is actually the same thing right Right. um and the idea was always and especially like you know think pre-starlink world i know like we're we're all used to having low orbit satellite now i guess so uh but like just three years ago um you know being working in new mexico like how can i make sure that my client has like access to the dashboard uh over the internet at any given time over a cell tower out there that was not something no. that we could guarantee the customer right and so that's kind of how we develop our edge solution was the fact that we're isolated with potentially no internet access or inconsistent one or low bandwidth one um and that's much more like what drove our adoption of like edge the way that we did it rather than what you hear you know the talking hands at silicon right. valley as like what edge is for and why it's important yeah um you, you know what i mean no, for sure. I, that's that's the funny thing is like I'm bullish on edge for oilfield because of the the connectivity issues and remote piece and right. the risk. I mean, like the you, risk. You, you yeah, can't ultimately go oils, blank. Right, waiting on it to, to get to the cloud. I mean, you can't have it the cloud be that business critical piece when you're running field operations. Like, yeah, they need that visibility and they're paying for that visibility that you're providing them. Right. Well, that's and right. even when you get you know just as something as simple as hey, the connection went down. Right. Being able to have a local device that stores the data, and then when the connection comes yeah. back up, 
has the pub sub relationship that checks and sees okay well this was the last record in the database here's all the records i've got let's go backfill that so that we can catch up and just keep things going right like just the simple pieces of that are so like relevant to the oil field because that happens all the fucking time right? yeah it's like, not if things will go wrong right like, it's when and how do you mitigate yeah it? um and, and that's always kind of been our philosophy right it, it's like we need to be able to buffer that data like most of the stuff that we run in the field is hardwired like they're right. like there's so much radios and things like that on path and all sorts of interference that you know, Wi-Fi even out there, like we're, it's always kind of a crapshoot, right? So in terms of our data, like we, if, if we're going to do some, some, uh, some wireless, we're going to be something out of classical bands and stuff like that to make sure they're always by ourselves. Uh, so that, that's one of the lesson learned, I would say is like, you know, the, your strategy, um, when it comes to wireless, wireless is always, uh, good on paper. Uh, but in our experience has been, uh, it's been quite challenging, both from uh, from a performance standpoint and a security standpoint. Uh, when it comes to the big lessons learned for us, if we want to get really nerdy about it, um, between uh, Edge and Cloud is is uh, this two way. Uh, you're running an app that uh, basically is a duplicate of one another from Edge to Cloud. Uh, we've we've always kind of tried to uh, be able to do two way communication, like so, like that you have your database sync from um, Edge to Cloud and Cloud Edge. Right. Uh, for example, like you get, um, let's say you get a, a water, like we do a lot of work with water transport company out of Marcellus, um, mm-hmm. like commodities, the Marcellus is kind of a pain, right? Like right. if you've ever been in the Appalachians, so like, you know why? Uh, and, um, and so like they would send us their data, you know, from, uh, from an API. So we, you know, query their API on the cloud and I moved this in our cloud database, but then we wanted to drop that down to the edge so that if we had a customer that was relying on our edge device uh, application, like you could also have all the information they needed. And he's actually the one that cares about water transfer. Yeah, right. right. Um, and, uh, and, and, and that would say that, that that's a pattern that we've kind of decided to go um, and, and change because as soon as we wanted to do like, uh, dual synchronization, like two-way synchronization, like it opened up Pandora's box of complexity in edge cases. Um, and so that was one of our lesson learned in our, in our journey on that is now really trying to like remove all our infrastructure, especially now we have more good bandwidth on site, like to right. we move all the data to the edge first, and yeah. then we have to have this one-way pipe to the cloud um that simplified our operations our data operations like tremendously um and also works with our philosophy of like you know we want the uh the person on site to be the first to know um and and so that was one of our lessons learned i would say in the past few years when we're trying to um to pair up and make sure all those applications stayed in sync um one-way database sync is is much easier than two-way and it's not just twice as hard it's It's a square rather than a yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and let's stick on that too, because um, I think you know my my team had been talking <clears throat> to you all, and then one of our DNC techs left, and you know she was a big advocate for cold and just for whatever reason never got legs. Um, but I mean, I'm more concerned on the data analytics side of it. How do I consume the data from cold Like, are you guys going to generate all this data? And it, I think it seemed like you guys had two ways for me to get the data. You, we could wait for it to get to the cloud and we could access, say, a RESTful API, but then you also had an MQTT service as well, I believe, that we could tie into. So if yeah. you're going to talk about those options. and Sure. Yeah. Um, so um, 
<laughs> I'm going to talk about a lot of lessons learned there. Um, so, uh, yeah, so on site, uh, we do MQTT, uh, and, um, we do MQTT web sockets, right? So we have two ways to do streaming on site, uh, web sockets, you know, it's, it's more like the common, uh, web native approach to streaming, uh, and MQTT, uh, because there's so many kind of IOT, uh, type devices that are, have that sort of built in. Uh, and then you have the API, right? And, and on the cloud, we started to do uh, some MQTT as well at some point. Uh, we're starting to stay away from it because I guess like you need to have sort of a giant MQTT broker where yeah. you have to parse everything through. Um, and it doesn't, it didn't really scale well. Um, so um, like right now, what we're really looking into is like, um, like you say, from the data analyst standpoint, where we decided to go instead is more of, of uh, providing queuing uh, through some some Kafka queues, right? Uh, so now you have kind of three ways to get your data, right? You get, you can query through an API, uh, you can sit on a WebSocket to get in the stream in real time, but you have also the queuing, which is kind of an hybrid of both those things. Because the, yeah. the problem is always like, well, an API... If I give access and everyone wants to do second for second data on my API, they're going to just crush my AWS, right? Um, Which obviously is a problem. Uh, Streaming, well, from the client side, it's like, well, if my client dies for an hour and I don't realize it, then I have to do API queries. And then like all of a sudden your client becomes super complex uh, because for failure, uh, you know, error recovery, uh, there's so many edge cases that pile on to make sure that you have uh, you have all your data. So what we went to is two 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 other options that are kind of a high uh, a number of that. Like firstly, Kafka queue. So that way, like we drop the data, like we standardize it. So like basically, you have you end up with a bunch of queues that are your standard channels that you want from your frac, right? Uh, so for each job, each standard channel, and again, like whatever service companies out there, whatever operator you are, these things are always named the same. So from the operator standpoint, like you don't really care if it's Liberty or Alberton that's fracking, right. like it's always going to look the same for you. Right. So that's another big piece of what we do is we create this abstraction. As it uh, should. But then with the yeah. queuing. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, that's and, just and, an uh, industry problem, right? Like I'm going <laughs> to. Overall. Yeah. yeah like so, every, so, everybody should try and standardize naming conventions, at least on the services side. I, like, I think it's yeah. crazy to me that, as an industry, we don't just have a generic naming convention that most of us agree upon. We don't even have that. Like we don't even care about structure or any of like the file types or any of that shit. Just like a naming convention that is standardized across frack. We don't have that. Like companies yeah. do, but as an industry, we don't. And it's, that's crazy to me. Yeah. And so, yeah, going back to the, the queuing, so you, you have that those standard channel and then, and then we can queue up to like, you know, six hours worth of data for each channel. And so then yeah. the client can uh, kind of go there and uh, consume that as, as, as they want. Um, and that's, that's, that's been a, a, that's something that we're rolling out right now to some customer that's been very good uh, in simplifying the workflows. And then you also have, uh, we do, uh, we work with Snowflake, so whoever, uh, other type of Snowflake-like uh, thing to be able to, you know, do those shared rows. Uh, like okay, so y'all, y'all do the Snowflake share now center. where you can just like share it across because like three, saying, yeah. you're, po- you're talking about three clicks. Language. Yeah. No, that's. He loves a parquet file. <clears throat> 
I still well, not even that. I mean, we don't need that. I mean, it's literally like if they have a snowflake, we have snowflake. You give me your account ID, whatever, and bam, oh, their data shows up as a database in my warehouse without ever having to yeah, do you, any you ETL. Yeah, you can literally join to our database, essentially, right? Because you see them just like there were rows in yours. Um, yeah, once it's enabled, like, it shows up. I mean, we actually have it with Liberty. I mean, like, it just shows up across the wire, and now it's part of your database. We should just get rid of APIs, and that's all. That's, I mean, that's, it's moving yes. there. So, and, I mean, it's, it'll never go away, but it's moving yeah. there. Like, I mean, what, I mean, that's the what idea, Salesforce right? and AWS and Salesforce and Snowflake have it where it just it automatically syncs. It's just there. Cause, yeah. cause then like, you know, you're, you know, we all spent our time, like, you know, we're all in the same AWS data center here and then we keep going <laughs> right. over the internet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then like the snowflake guys are just like, Hey, what about, you know, we just stay in the data center over that yeah. big fiber optic mm-hmm. as big as this. Right. Yeah. And just do a share of our, our SQL query, uh, our SQL table. So that's, well, that's pretty, now that, that's, that's super fast. Yeah. Now that, you know, storage is decoupled from the compute. Now right. and it's just, you're just sharing their file structure across, you know, and then it just works. Yeah. Oh, that's got, yeah. Uh, it's a pricier model. Um, so we'll see. I'm, yeah, I'm excited to see a bit of competition in that space. Uh, Snowflake is obviously the big one. Um, the other one is Databricks, which is also a big one. We've, we've yep. been kind of interacting with, uh, both those platforms. Um, but there's a lot of, um, <clears throat> and we've worked with customers that have started to look into, cause there's some, open source project that are starting to crop up on kind of the same patterns uh, that will make that a little more economical, I think for everybody. So, uh, so that's going in the right direction and click house. Yeah. We see, uh, how do they call it? Um, name, name escapes me. There's, there's one of those open source project that's very popular. Like, um, yeah, something share. Uh, okay. Yeah, I'd have to look it up. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I was saying DuckDB or yeah. ClickHouse. I mean, it's just as far as those are right, those columnar, you know, um, engines that are that compete, you know, on the same scale of a, yeah. you know, Snowflake or whatever. But I mean, again, they're, um, but I mean, even that, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I'm, I'm a DuckDB bro who hasn't even really used it that much. But like, um, <laughs> you know, curious. I'm always trying to see if people have even messed with it because I mean, like, I think that's one of the things that's so cool about that is it's SQL Lite for analytics, like. You can run DuckDB in the browser. You can run it on the edge. You can run it in your data center. You can run it, you know, just about anywhere. Um, So it's pretty cool, but I don't know if y'all are using anything like that at all or or messing with it. Not really, not right now. Like one of the main challenges on the database side for us has always been the time series stuff. Yeah. Right. Uh, The way that we handle time series data um, because, uh, it can get get really crazy as long as as soon as you have like engineers that are starting to pound at your your web application and look at charts over yeah. like oh I want to see the frac chart over like the last fifteen days yeah right that's like <laughs> you know ten million data points mm-hmm. that I want to throw at the browser right so yeah Bobby <laughs> and I Bobby and I have had many I mean because we were doing like mostly defit or frac analysis right so it's all one second data but it's normally during you know a defit might be a month before the frac or whatever but even during yeah. the frack, right? Like they're looking for frack hits during the entire frack job. So they want to see 30 stages with 30 potential frack hits across it over a two week period. And we've had many conversations, Bobby and I, about like with potential customers or engineers of like, you physically can't fit all of those data points in the pixels of this screen. So we <laughs> cannot show yeah. you every single data point. I know you want to see every single yeah. that you think you want to. But we had some like smart little algorithms and stuff that were kind of windowed as you zoomed in and out that would 
kind of expand or contrast and i think that's what most yeah. people end up but doing. even that to hit you I mean they'll still have to interact with the database and you need to have a database that's <laughs> right able to handle that so i mean as much as you're willing to say i mean i mean i don't i mean um you know i'm curious if uh you know what technology you've landed on or do you kind of just home grow the way you're ingesting stuff into a relational database because i mean i know you know postgres has time scale or there's influx and there's all these different time you know kind of time series databases so curious what the yeah, journey we, has looked like there yeah, we use Timescale. Uh, I've always been uh, not a big, I'm always, I mean, I've worked with SQL for so long. Like, I, yeah. I, I've kind of like, we ended up there because it's something you're like super comfortable with. It always with. does. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it does always works, right? Uh, so, times, and, and uh, it's been very successful, like you're saying. Like, it's kind of like you have your built in uh, ways to create samples of certain buckets of time. And then you, you can adjust the query from the web application and stuff like that. And then really able to get that level of performance that, you know, from a UI UX standpoint, you want to be able to provide the customer. Uh, I would say there's been a bit of learning in terms of the, you know, the way we're sampling things. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm more from like the finance side when it comes to like, I mean, I'm kind of a finance bro. So like I'm, I, the first time I looked at a frac chart, I was like, how the hell does people, like, how do you, look at this like this, yeah. you know uh and and so there's been a bit of learning on uh, at least for me and, and a lot about the other engineers that i'm working with that are not from the industry as to like what a frack engineer expects to see right right mm-hmm. uh, and how we sample that data so that you know it looks right um when when we do some some down sampling of data um yeah. because that was some one of the issues that we had earlier right. on was that the way we were down sampling was not like they were like, yeah, if I zoom in, it makes sense. But if I zoom out, I'm looking at this chart and it looks wrong. Yeah, right. We've, yeah. we've felt those. I we mean, know exactly what you're talking about. And it was funny too. I mean, like, <laughs> I don't know, like even this listen, you guys arrived on timescale and John, and I went through things. I mean, I look at, there were a lot of architectural decisions that I wanted to be able to do, but it was, but, and what is what I would tell our CEOs, like, I, I want to do these things, but like what you realize and you want us to compete with well data labs or cold bore or Corva, like, it's like, it's me versus like, 20 ukrainians like and <laughs> yeah but i mean like but i hear some of these things like man we were on the right track yeah yeah you know like no, we just didn't have necessarily the resources whether it was time people or i guess it's you know the or whole, even experience too right? yeah like, they were the experience i wasn't very at the point then you know <laughs> yeah. i'd gone through a coding boot camp right yeah. no that's, yeah that, uh, that was a there was some learning for me too like even the the way that those time series database like influx and, and time skills as time scale have evolved over the past like just three to five years is, is massive. It's yeah, just yeah. massive. And I, I'm like, like, I think that we're, I'm starting to understand like, yeah, that's why only the big ones were kind of doing those type of like high volume of data applications. Because before that, we really had to be great tools to be able like as a, you know, a small shop to be right. able to, to do that by ourselves. Uh, which surprised me that even like that, you know, in, in, the late 2010s, early 2020s were still kind of at that phase in terms of the the stack. Um, but it is true. Uh, it, it's only, I would say, in the last three years that we have we have really seen some, um, some I mean, they're open source and enterprise level, so they're like a freemium type of, uh, mm-hmm. of, um, of, of licensing. But that's really kind of like in the last five years, we see things that we can use at scale uh and at a price uh, level and and not have to deploy like a team of 25 engineers to tweak right, and manage yeah. it inside inside your organization well, especially like time scale i think i mean time scale was the right 
call them but like at the same time it was before they re- there was really any managed time scale services so then like it was <laughs> right. you know our you know the contractors were using were standing up postgres you know with time scale on a vm on aws which a is expensive and b mm-hmm. like they didn't even really know how to set it right. up properly and optimize you know so you know just one of those like at a when you don't have the time or people or resources mm-hmm. to really dive into yeah. it you know i mean um, time scale uh, they've just released their own managed service. Like they, they, they were outsourcing their managed service to another company that was hosting their open like source Ivan thing. And, and I know it was doing it. Like, yeah, it was Ivan and out of yeah. Finland, right? They were doing that for them. Now they've just moved their stuff out in north back to North America, and um, and but but that gives you an, uh, an idea of like how still pretty young, right. you know, yeah. that that all is. Interestingly yeah. enough, I think you could spin up a. Uh, timescale uh, Postgres on Azure before you could do it on AWS. <laughs> like, you know, they've got that as the managed service, but uh, I want to know just as much as you're willing to kind of talk about or can talk about kind of what, what y'all's stack looks like specifically around, are you using like containers, Kubernetes? And then I also heard you mention Kafka. Like, I think Kafka is a really interesting tool that some people know about in the industry, but a lot still don't. And then you've also got, you know, Confluent, so you've got the managed version of it and stuff like that. So I'm very curious about kind of, you know, what y'all's architecture looks like and, and yeah. what, you know, things y'all have been able to to do to help, like just containers, right? Like when I was selling <laughs> Edge, uh, the amount of people that are still running VMs for so many things is just, and it's not just oil and gas, right? It's like pretty much every major industry has a lot of very big VM players that have always been built on VMs, so they are still built on VMs um yeah and so like just things like that right like that I, i'm very curious to kind of to hear like and again yeah. if you can't share or don't um, want to or whatever that's fine too no I don't, I don't think you know there's no big secrets there i mean we're we've always been running a uh, docker stack for both uh both on the edge and cloud uh like we have this microservice so type yeah we have that microservice architecture we stayed away from kubernetes um I mean, the reason, like, I was working with um, one of our contractors. He's a guy from, uh, uh, he's a guy that was working at YouTube before, a guy from the Valley, and he worked with me uh, when I started. He, he was one of our contractors, and he was part of, he was kind of adjacent to the team that was working with Kubernetes, and he was like, dude, like, the amount of people that actually need to use Kubernetes <laughs> is really yeah. fucking small. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, I, so, I wholeheartedly agree. Like that was, in my opinion, one of the main kind of negatives about, I thought it was a positive going in because I was, didn't know better, but about the, the hive cell setup was that, you know, the Kubernetes offers that resiliency and high availability that at the edge we think we would ultimately want. But then of course, no one actually wants to pay for it until they have that issue where, oh, well, we're mm-hmm. in the middle of a frack stage and all of our equipment shit the bed and now we don't have any data. And it's like, well, is it really worth that like mitigation or do we just have a backup sitting out there that we can plug in and keep yeah. going, right? Especially just like well, the, you know people, the, the expertise around you know Kubernetes how, is still so small. Like, Yeah, and, and that's the thing about engineers. Like we work with engineers um, and software, at least that I can talk about because that's my world. But like, it's like, you know, they, they're attracted to complexly like muffed to a flame, right? <laughs> 
Uh, and so, like, everyone wants to do Kubernetes because, like, that's what the cool kids do type deal. Like, we've we've been running our Docker Compose stack for forever, and we've, like, we know everything that you used to know about it, and we mm-hmm. never had any issue. Like, it's not even on the radar of the things that we're yeah. worried about, honestly. Yeah. Uh, and so, so we've been running that. Uh, we, we do some hosted service. Like, we, we leverage some hosted service on uh, on the cloud. We're, um, I mean, me and Cooper, Cooper Gratishari is our uh, uh, director of technology he's uh like we work together for a gd together and all that and we're kind of linux geek right so we're a bit more like old school when it comes to like our, our run our stack in the cloud because i'm like because we know how it works right? We, right we we use less let's say managed service than maybe we should but it's more like like we know how they work we know what we need uh yeah, and we're kind of uh well, that's the thing, right? It's like when when there's too much magic AWS shit. Uh, I'm like, well, like if it doesn't work, we're like, I don't know where to start. Like, I don't know yeah. what AWS yep. wrapped this in. Right? No, I mean, if perfect. I run an EC2 instance and um and I'm I, you know I have my SSH tunnel to to my to my logs, I can probably do a lot of things. Uh, right. So that's a bit more of our philosophy because of our background. Like, I understand why it's there, but yeah, um, I. We're more kind of like the the technical guys that want a little more level of control. Uh, so so we do some managed stuff when it makes sense, but uh, not kind of like a as a default. Um, what we've uh, been very different about is that uh, we've built a lot of our software on new technology. Uh, so for example, everything that we run on site um, when it comes to embedded is all. Uh, pretty much all rust um because uh well again it's back to the story of cooper and i working for the defense industry in c plus plus and you're like hey we're not doing the c plus plus thing again (laughs) no uh (laughs) you get the benefits of c plus plus but with more type safety and everything right on on rust exactly the type and and mainly for the memory safety well not type safety memory safe sorry yeah, the, the the memory safety is such a blessing. Like, and everyone that says like, well, it compiles more slowly. Like, I, I, uh, you really need to revisit your assumption about what's important. Uh, yeah. Like, if it takes five times the amount of uh, compile time upfront, and I'm going to save like 16 millions hours of debugging a 12 thread <laughs> process that crashes every two months. Like, yeah. Like I'm going to pay that price up front anytime, right? So that's that's one decision that we've made. And it's been great because first, it, 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 it simplified some of these things um, and also attracted talent, right? Uh, like right. we had guys that, uh, uh, and, and we had people that wanted to work on Rust in production. Right. Right? Right. A lot of people were doing this. And that was back in when we started in 2020. Uh, and now like, looking back, I think that was a great decision because you look at 2024 now and, you know, Rust is part of the Linux kernel. Um, we nice. see Microsoft starting to migrate some of their uh, C, plus to Rust as well in the uh, Windows operating system. So it's great to see because, like, it sounds like this is not going away. Yeah. Uh, anytime it's always soon. the, um, the language, you know, of choice for all, like, the um, blockchain. Yeah, a lot of the crypto stuff, kind of stuff. Is, in, is in Rust. No, it's I, fast. And the, and everything above, like more on the cloud side, we've been having a lot of emphasis on using Elixir and OTP. So okay. for those that are not aware, like that's all based on Erlang. Uh, I mean, Erlang was built by Ericsson for telecom, right? And you can draw a lot of parallel to what Colbert does at the end of the day. Like we're moving a lot of data yeah. 
in all sorts of ways really fast. And um, and functional programming is, is is a pattern that you know we really kind of embraced uh, when it comes to how we do our development, how we think about our our pipeline, our our software, what goes where uh, in our architecture. And so that's been kind of like our ways to think about the software, like the 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 language and the framework really fits well with that. Uh, and everything on the kind of the website has been uh, a React, class yeah, yeah. React JavaScript type stuff. Are y'all using Kafka or are you using like Confluent? Or? Yeah, we've been Kafka for, for our queuing, uh, but outbound. So um, we've developed our own uh, pipes uh, with Elixir and, and the OTP framework for everything that is uh, moving data from edge to cloud and stuff like that. Yeah. Kafka is more like a way to... Because we don't, like, there's a lot of Kafka client, right? So it's easy right. for a customer to be able to just yeah. get a Kafka client, read from a queue rather than, you know, uh, have to write a client that uses our, our special yeah. sauce. So it's, it's, not, it's not critical to your application. Right. It's, it's more of a way to save, serve data to others. Yeah, it's a distribution. Exactly, action. like a, a neat way to distribute the data to yeah. in a queuing, in a queue uh, to to uh, to the end user. Yeah, nice. no, that makes, I mean, that's that's what they really push kafka with right yeah. data in motion and you well, again there's, there's another one streams. i was i was in i was on kafka testing it out early <laughs> yeah, like you, i was using confluent to connect to our mysql and <laughs> it was going to go somewhere else and then yeah again bringing enough contractors and they yeah. overrode that but um no i mean <laughs> <Kafka's>, <laughs> that was in like what 2017 yeah because yeah. uh, it was kafka, kafka connected come out so i was like oh i can just write a little uh configuration file connect to mysql i just had to turn on the bin log and just all the data was flowing out of our you know, time series stuff and I could send it anywhere. And then, um, but yeah, I was just a, a little wet behind the ears and <laughs> didn't, you know, didn't really know what I was doing yet. So, but a lot of things is like, Ooh, that's probably the right technology. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, those things like it's, it's, I mean, it all, it, these problems have already been solved. Right. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, what's, uh, yeah, it's more and, about and applying for, the technologies and creating stuff, something uh, new. Yeah, for for our stuff, like we've been leveraging, like when I say Elixir, like it's just that it's more of the framework also that we adopted. It's not like those yeah. uh, that data movement and pipelines and and queues, like all the all those things are already built in the language, and so like you just go with that, and you don't take the risk of having a guy reinvent the queue and go through the same hoops that the guy in 1952 had to go through. <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, yeah. Again. Even you brought up, well, we brought up MQTT earlier and seemingly it didn't necessarily work exactly how you guys want it to work. But I think it was Colin was telling me like, I think MQTT was actually born out of like Philips 66 or, or ConocoPhillips yeah. or one of those companies. Apparently there were a couple of guys there who developed the MQTT protocol, which I think a lot of people don't realize it was born out of oil and gas. I didn't know that actually. Yeah, That's I didn't. It was like a, probably a month or two ago. He, he told yeah. me. So. No, I would have easily called that that was a Valley yeah. invention. But again, it's, but the valley doesn't have to solve that. You know, they, no, they don't right. messing with the edge is nearly. I mean, I say, I guess phones and stuff potentially, but like, yeah, you know, it's born motherhoods that right. are what necessity is it, uh, necessities of the motherhood of invention. So yeah, no, that was what. Yeah, that's so true. Stuff, right? uh, the yeah. valley, like when you when you hear the guy in the valley talk about edge, talk about modern computing and stuff like that, it's really hard to relate to what we do here <laughs> a yeah. lot of times, right? Yep. Uh, like we're in a B2B also, right? So a lot of the stuff is built certainly more into B2C type. Even if you think about product development, right? Uh, most of our, you know, you you hire a bunch of, of product manager and they kind of have this B2C mindset of like, you know, we're going to we're gonna try this on the customer. We're going to A-B test this. If you're not doing A-B tests between <laughs> Conical Phillips and 
Exxon Mobil. I'm sorry, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. so like that's that's a very different beast, like just from that angle. And then, and also like oil and gas. I think uh, in terms of like adoption of software, adoption of technology, like I think you know it's laggard as an industry mm-hmm. or like in general. Uh, and so it's always kind of interesting to have to interact and bring new people in our company and to have to interact with a client because like, you know, blows their minds. It's yeah. not at all what you've, <laughs> yeah. what you've seen before. Okay. Yeah. They're a publicly traded billion dollar company and they're still using <laughs> MySQL. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Oh, no, that's. A, yeah. yeah. Well, that's or a, like, you know, Mudbus, like make it that, Mudbus, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. 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 Mudbus, man. Yeah. yeah. I, love, I love pulling <laughs> things. Yeah. <laughs> Bobby spent so much time with <laughs> with all the, the interface Different protocols, protocols and motor, and, yeah. yeah, Modbus serial. I mean, all the TCP, good old, yeah, yep. yep. No, um, well, shit, man, that was that was a yeah, quick, it goes pretty quick. quick hour. We're gonna we're gonna need you back on at some point. We're we're gonna try and do in the future some uh, roundtable, like, yeah, roundtable topic specific episode like AI. Yeah, if we get edge, him in there with uh, Federico, yeah, that'd be uh, a yeah. cool one. Uh, no, that'd, that'd be a cool great. one to do is. Uh, if we we talk a bit like if you want to do a bit of a session about like next five years like yeah. what this looks like what it needs to look like where what success looks like for uh for uh like for how, we, how we see the industry going and and where we fit and and uh that that's something that i've actually done like i was on a panel on sp uh out in the marcellus just in the, in the fall there was a lot of great discussion there uh, around that and so i think having a and you know, like you're saying it's a round table type stuff i think it'd be great yeah no man well we uh at the end of of each episode we do a speed round where we kind of just pepper you with random short questions and just give your quick and short answer and then we'll we'll wrap things up all right so um who's your favorite uh social media follow <laughs> um Wow, that's a good one. It doesn't have to be like an influencer. It can be like a tech guy or just a interesting person. I would say probably I'm really enjoying following Elon around on Twitter. Yeah. But, that's two uh, for two today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's always, I mean, he's just fun to watch because all the stuff that's going on. But um, what is your favorite cloud? Preferred, if you had to pick one. If I had to pick one, um, Azure. Okay, interesting. Cause it could sound like y'all do a good bit on AWS too, but we do both. Yeah. Okay. We do both. Gotcha. That's how most people should be doing. Yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can't lock yourself in. Um, what's your favorite place to go on vacation? Florida. Okay. I mean, honestly, like, you know, since I went there a handful of times, every time I go to Florida, I have a good time. Oh like, yeah. <laughs> like, people, people shit all over Florida, but Florida is, blast yeah <laughs> it's it's so nice to go yeah. on the beach and it's a change from here especially today yeah i was gonna say i can't imagine having like it's i literally can't comprehend how cold it is there because i've never been that cold in my life yeah no. I've, I've gotten zero fahrenheit surface temperatures with 20 mile hour winds but that's not yeah. i keep it's still not even comprehensible um what is your favorite language or uh, coding languages or either language or like library that you've kind of come across that might be interesting or relevant yeah it'd be elixir flash erlang for me nice one more um yeah what's your what's your favorite managed service oh, that's a good one 
you mean by managed service? <laughs> I, know, like, I mean, like a third party, like a third, you know, I mean, like maybe Auth0 or those kind of things. Or, it's definitely you know, not Auth0. Well, you know, John doesn't like Auth0, <laughs> but I mean, I don't just like, guys. or, you know. Uh, I mean, for me, like it's uh, GitHub, man. Like, I mean, that's yeah. like so much of our workflows and yeah. it makes so much sense from a developer's mind. Uh, right. Like I do everything now on GitHub. Like I do accounting, I do like everything in that workflow so that'd be yeah. that's kind of the one of the things that's open in my face like 24 nice. 7 almost. no for sure i mean i i started diving into the github actions over the winter break and pretty awesome what you can do with that exactly yeah and yeah like now my brain just keeps going back to like oh i'll just make it a github workflow yeah <laughs> Done. It's, it's smart i mean you gotta gotta do it where it's most accessible and easiest to do um well, where can, where can people find you? How do they get in touch with you or Colbor? Uh, easiest, uh, is, uh, find me is on LinkedIn. That's probably like where, uh, where I do most interaction, uh, on social media. I have a, I have an X account too, but, uh, kind of sparsely there. Uh, and yeah, coldboretechnology.com for, uh, to, to get a sense of everything that we do. We'll be at HFTC, uh, right yeah. around what is it? Three weeks from now. Yeah, it's normal. In uh, January, early February. In yeah. January, um, so we'll be there. Um, so to see uh, a lot of people from the industry uh, there in Houston. Yeah, perfect. No, that's always a great show. Everybody, if you uh, you like this episode and like this stuff, check out this episode. Uh, see what uh, what else we've got, Alex. Thank you so much for jumping on with us. We really appreciate it. Stay yeah, warm. that's fun, guys. <laughs> Awesome, thank you. While some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Goodbye.